As I said, uh, the series title is God is Up to Something Big. Uh, but often it is the small beginnings that lead to the big things of God. And sometimes we don't recognize that God is up to something big because we don't understand it's those little things that he's working in to produce the bigger things. So the little things are important. How important? Well, think about this. In October of 1871, uh, it had been a season of dryness and uh, uh, very little rain. They hadn't rain, had rain in, in a long time and there were these, uh, this couple, and they lived on a small farm and uh, all wooden buildings. And uh, on this particular morning, uh, Patrick and Catherine O'Leary got up, as they always did, in their little house. And uh, this little lady, she went into uh, the kitchen uh, to get some things started. And, and uh, then she, uh, she took a little lantern, and she, she lit that with a, a match. And uh, later she walked out into, they had a small barn and they had one cow and she went out to, uh, to, uh, with that little lantern and to milk the cow before the sun came up. And so she sat down in the barn and they had a little bit of hay and she took a little bit of hay and she put it in front of that one cow that they had and she began to, to milk that cow and the cow became excited and when he got excited, he kicked over the lantern, and the lantern lit that little pile of hay that she had put there in front of, of the cow, and that uh, little bit of hay began to spread. The fire in that began to spread, and it spread to that little barn, and it, it consumed that little barn before long, and then it spread to their little house, and it burned down the house, and then it continued to spread. They couldn't, they couldn't uh, capture and and uh, contain it, and it began to spread. And over the course of uh, the next three days, uh, that fire uh, burned out of control. It burned down 17,000 buildings and homes. Over 300 people died from that little fire that had started in that barn. 100,000 people were left homeless. The fire burned a four-mile-long and one-mile-wide area of Chicago. I bet you've heard of the Great Chicago Fire. That's how it started. Finally, there was a little bit of rain. It came blowing in, and the rain helped the firefighters in their effort to shut this uh, fire down. There was looting and lawlessness uh, that broke out, and martial law was declared, and they had to bring in soldiers to just uh, uh, establish some kind of control. And today, the Chicago Fire Department has a training academy on the very property where that little fire began. It was a little fire. It's a little thing, but look what it did. Look how big it became. Do you know the largest corporation, currently the largest corporation in the world, do you know where it started? It started in a garage. It's Apple Computer. Small things add up, don't they? Go look in your closet. Small things add up. Go look in your attic. Small things add up, don't they? Go look in some of the, uh, the drawers, in your chest of drawers. Small things accumulated eventually take up big space. You see, little things lead to big things. And that can be good or bad, of course. James said that the tongue is a small thing, but it kindles a great fire. James said a rudder is a small thing, but it steers a big ship. The prophet Zechariah spoke the words of God to the people and said, Who dares despise the day of small things? Why? Because the fact is, God is up to something big, even when we don't see what He's doing 
even with the small things. You see, God's always at work. And everything is a something. Now catch this. Everything is a something in the plans and purposes of God in your life. It's true for nations. It's true for us personally. That's why we must never underestimate what God is up to in spite of what we can see or can't see. Look, there are things that are happening right now and God's up to something big. God has always been up to something big. There's never been a time when God wasn't up to something big. The question is, are we going to be a part of the big thing that God is doing? And we have to be careful not to underestimate the small works of God and the small answers to prayer, as we'll see in today's passage. Because it was a prayer that began something big for the people of God. And it was a prayer offered by a mom on the backside of a prayer she had offered that God had answered. If you're physically able to do so, stand with me this morning as we read what is called Hannah's Prayer. 1 Samuel chapter 2. Now, now this prayer, Hannah's Prayer, is often compared to Mary's song or Mary's prayer in the New Testament, and you can go and read that. So this is sometimes called Hannah's Prayer or Hannah's Song compared to Mary's prayer or Mary's song. Look what the Scripture says. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There's none holy like the Lord, for there's none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighted. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to be hungry. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Father, thank you for your uh, wonderful truth. Thank you for the scriptures, Father, that correct us, that convict us, and change us. Lord, I pray this morning that we will see and hear and understand exactly what your spirit wants to teach us. And Father, more than just hear it, that we will apply it. And then we will respond in change in our life because of it. So speak now, Lord. We're listening. Speak to us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, maybe you know this story. Hannah had asked, uh, Hannah had asked God for a son. And the reason she had asked is because she was barren. Over in the first chapter, we see that. And she was barren. And uh, she had been made fun of or mocked 
by people close to her and it was a burden that she was carrying. And so she said this to the Lord. She prayed and she called out to the Lord and said, Lord, if you'll give me a son, I will give him back to you. Now, so this was her prayer, and indeed, God heard her prayer and answered and gave her a son. Because frankly, we all know nothing's too big for God. And so Samuel was birthed. And he was birthed at a most unusual time in Israel's history because Israel had distanced themselves from God. In fact, if you go back and you read a little bit, you find it says that in those days, the word of the Lord was rare until Samuel came along. They had priests, they had Eli and Hophni and Phinehas, his evil, wicked sons. And, and, uh, but the, the, the spiritual condition of the people uh, was in a, a bad way. It was in a bad state of being. And so against that, God hears this woman's prayer uh, and sends a son, and she uh, gives this son uh, back to God. Now, the results would be not immediate, but down the road that the people of Israel would see just how big that birth was. Just how big, in fact, you might say that prayer was. And uh, what follows here in the passage that we just read is the follow-up to Samuel being given, her presenting Samuel back to God, and now she's praising God. This is her her follow-up prayer, her follow-up praise and affirmation for what God has done. The song of Hannah. And she's expressing in this her praise. She's expressing her gratefulness to God. And she's declaring, did you notice the greatness of God in her prayer and her praise? And there are at least six things. There are many more. But there are at least six things that we must not forget. And she teaches us that. Uh, So let's look at them. First, because God is always working. Remember, that's an underlying thought for this series. God is always working, and because He's always working, there are some things we must not forget. Like number one, the exaltation of God. Verses 1 and 2, we see her exalting God. My heart exalts in the Lord. Then she says, there is none holy like the Lord. We see her, her exaltation of God. There's never a bad time to exalt God. Hello? And so the first thing she does in this song is she brings praise to God. She says, let's start there. It's the most appropriate place to start. That's why Paul said, in, uh, in everything, give thanks. And that's what she does. She exalts him. She gives thanks to him. In May of 1934, Billy Graham was a lanky, mischievous teenager. And at that time, his father and a group of local men in Charlotte, uh, North Carolina, had decided together under a grove of shade trees on the edge of Frank Graham's, that's Billy's dad, on the edge of his dairy farm property. And they would gather there uh, for, uh, for prayer, for revival in the nation and in their area of Charlotte. And so they would do this. They would meet uh, several times and, uh, and make this prayer. But on one particular uh, uh, May... Uh, at their prayer gathering, Frank Graham, uh, Billy's father, later told um, uh, a news uh, agency that there was a paper salesman uh, named Vernon Patterson. And before they started praying, Vernon Patterson suggested that they make a bold prayer in which they would ask God to raise up not just someone to take the gospel to the world, but that they raise up someone from Charlotte, North Carolina to take the gospel to the world. 
Well, while they're praying, a 15-year-old Billy Graham was doing his afternoon chores in the barn when they're making that very prayer. Little did they know on the very property that they were making the prayer for God to raise up someone to take the Gospels uh, to the end of the world. He was in the barn doing his chores and had no interest in God whatsoever. They had no idea how God was about to answer their prayer. And I tell you that to say, like them, at the time when Hannah prayed, she had no idea what God was doing. This prayer, which she was praising Him for what He had done, but she had no idea of the implications of that. Have you ever thought this? Your prayer may have much bigger implications than you even imagine. That her small prayer, God, give me a son. She was just praying for a son. And God says, because of your commitment to me and your pursuit of me, he says, I'm going to hear your prayer. But not only am I going to give you a son, I'm going to give you a prophet to the world. And he's going to change the nation forever. You see, we don't have to know everything that God is up to in order to praise and exalt him for what he's already done. And so we start there, we exalt Him, we praise Him, we seek Him, and we thank Him for what He's done, knowing that what He's done is not the end of what He's doing. You want me to say that again? Knowing what He has done is not the end of what He's doing. He's still working. And so you praise Him when He answers your prayer. You praise Him for who He is. You praise Him uh, for what He's done, knowing that this is a part of something more that God is doing. And so I ask you this morning, are you praising God for the little things that he's doing in your life? Are you praising him for the answers to prayer that you've seen in your life? Start with praise. Start with exaltation. The second thing we must not forget is our foundation is in God. Uh, Notice verse 2 in this song of Hannah. She says, there is no rock like our God. There is no rock like our God. This is also really a kind of praise for God. It is an affirmation. It reaffirms why we trust Him. It reaffirms why we we look to Him for the details of our life. It's important that all the details, that God, that we know He is interested in all the details. Life in this world, by the way, has always been unstable and shaky. Isn't that interesting? Thousands of years ago, she writes and she says, God is our rock. Why? Because her world, their world was an unstable world. Our world today is an unstable world. You look out there every week and you think, and by the way, now we're we're being told things like uh, uh, we need to be Uh, alert to increasing nuclear hostilities and those kinds of things. It's a a very unstable time. Economically, it's unstable. All of these things have been a part of world history. And so what we do is we have to identify where what is stable. There's plenty that's unstable, right? I mean, you can point to all kinds. So what is stable? Well, Hannah gets it right. She says, there is no rock like our God. I want to tell you something, it's still true. Thousands of years later, it's still true. There is no rock like our God. Life is unstable. Life is shaky. So you must build your life on the solid foundation. Keep your place here. But if you will, go over to Luke's gospel. I want to show you something in Luke's gospel. 
Luke's Gospel, chapter 6. I'll give you a second to get there. Luke's Gospel, chapter 6. Jesus taught us about the importance of the foundation of our life. And he tells a story in Luke chapter 6, uh, verses really 46 and following. Watch, follow along with me. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose and the stream broke against that house, uh, it could not shake because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them, that is his word, is like a man who has built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. What is Jesus talking about? He's talking about what you build your life on. He's saying there are really only two foundations. There's the foundation of Christ, and there's all the other foundations you can try to build your life on. But only one will last in the storm. And by the way, we don't have time, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time there on this story. But if you go and examine it, you see that both of the houses outwardly look great. Everything looked great. The test came when the storm came. That's when you found out which house was built on rock and which one had built, was built on sand. The world is full of unstable foundations that people with good intentions try to build their lives on. People try to build their life on money, but money is not a reliable foundation. Now, money is not the enemy unless it becomes your God. Markets rise and fall. We've seen that. We've seen that recently. What you have today can be gone in an instant. So don't build your life on the foundation of money. It is not a stable foundation. Jesus told the story. Do you remember the story told about the man who had this bumper season of crops? He harvested the crops, and he, he had so many. Instead of uh, being generous with his crops, what did he do? The Bible says that he said, wow i got so much, I need to build bigger barns. And so he built more barns, bigger barns, uh, to, uh, to store the increase he had experienced. And then it says, you remember the story? Then he sat down in his rocking chair, and he said, My soul, look what I've accumulated. He said, I don't have to do anything else forever. And the Bible says in that moment, a messenger from God said, You fool. And he died. Because he'd built his life on the wrong things. Don't build your life on the foundations that won't last. Some try to build on money. It's just not a reliable foundation. Some try to build on the, the foundation of health. Health is not a reliable foundation. Take care of yourself. But you can be healthy today and at death's door tomorrow. Do all you can. Go to the doctor, do what the doctor says, exercise, uh, eat Krispy Kreme and stuff like that. <laughs> Stay as healthy as you can. But listen, don't build your life on, on the foundation of health because health, one day is great, the next day it's gone. The scripture even says this, Paul writes and says, our outward man is decaying day by day. The outward man is getting worse. So focus on renewing the inward man is what he says. So don't build on the foundation of health. 
it's not reliable. People are not a reliable foundation to build. A lot of people try to build their life on being accepted uh, by other people or trying to please other people. Now, I'm not saying we don't need people. We do need people. That's why you need the church. We need each other. God's designed it that way. Uh, and, and, and we need uh, one another. But we must never believe or build our lives on the idea that people are a foundation that is reliable because people will desert you. People will disappoint you. One of the most interesting passages in the New Testament to me is when Paul said, at my first defense, no one stood with me. They had left him. He said, Demas, who loves this world, has departed uh, from me. They, that many left him. When he needed them the most, they left him. Now, here's my point is, people are not a reliable foundation, hello, to build your life on. And then popularity or position are not reliable foundations. Why? Because uh, they come and they go. There's always someone else to replace you or someone else uh, coming up. Popularity. It's okay if you have popularity. It's okay if you have a position uh, that is used for the honor and glory of God. All of that is okay. But listen, friend, those things come and go too, don't they? A famous NFL quarterback was, was asked about how he was handling all the fame that he was receiving at the time um, he was asked. And his answer was this. I loved it. He said, I've learned not to take it seriously. They said, yeah, but you're so, I mean, you're so popular right now. He says, yeah, but I learned a long time ago not to take that seriously. He said, because I, here's what I've learned. One day you're in the penthouse, and the next day you're in the doghouse. It's true, isn't it? And so these are things that people try to build their lives upon. Uh, uh, the, uh, money and health and, and people and positions or platforms and popularity. But these things are not reliable. They are temporary at best. So Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, listen to what he wrote, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Here's what he's saying. There's no other foundation that will endure except for Jesus Christ. He said that's the only enduring foundation. And then he adds, now if anyone builds on the foundation, Jesus Christ with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So he says there's only one foundation. And that foundation is Jesus Christ. And that's what Hannah reminds us. There's no rock but our God. There's no rock like our God. And then here's a third thing we must never forget, and that is we see and she reveals to us her observation of God and God's observation of us. Her whole prayer is, is characteristic of who God is. It's talking about his nature and how he operates. But then she points out in verse 3 his operation, his observation of us. Look what she says, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are what? They are weighed. Here's what that means. God's watching. And he's not watching from a distance. As the song says, you know, God is watching from a distance. God is watching. I, I want to tell you something. There couldn't be a more thoroughly unbiblical song. God's not watching from a distance. God's watching up close and personal. He knows all about you. And by the way, he is evaluating your actions, your behavior, and your beliefs. There were two boys playing one day, and they got bored, and Johnny turned to his buddy Billy and he said, you know, I'm bored. Let's go do something like, let's go to the store and steal some candy. 
And Billy said, oh, no, I can't do that. Johnny says, why? He says, because God is watching. Billy says, God's watching. I can't, I can't do that. And Johnny replies, you mean to tell me that you believe that there is a God up there watching everything you do so that one day he can punish you? And Billy pauses. He thinks about it for a moment. And then he says, no, Johnny, I'm not telling you that I believe that there's a God up there that loves me so much that, that, that he, he, he uh, or that uh, God is up there watching so much so he can punish me. I believe there's a God up there who loves me so much that he just can't take his eyes off of me. And it's true, isn't it? God is watching you, but it isn't because he is some eye in the sky trying to catch you in bad behavior. You know, now in uh, numerous uh, major cities around the world, they have uh, cameras uh, throughout these uh, cities, and they they use these, they're monitored. For example, in London, they can monitor just about everything that's going on on the streets of London. And they use those, you know what they use them for? To catch people. It's kind of spooky when you think about it, isn't it? But they use them to, to catch people. They're the eye in the sky watching. And, uh, and by the way, they arrest people all the time because of bad behavior. I'm not saying they shouldn't arrest them. I'm just saying, but that's not what God is doing. God is not an eye in the sky saying, I'm watching, I'm watching, I'm going to catch you. That's why I'm watching, because I want to catch you, because I want to punish you. No, no, no. God is watching you because he loves you. God is watching because he, he loves you, and he's always watching. And that's the point that Hannah is making in her prayer, that God is a, an observant God. He is the Lord of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. Allison and I, sometimes when we're with our grandsons, we will, we will watch them when they don't know we're watching. You know, that's the most fun to watch kids, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's, the, that's when it's most fun to watch a kid, when they don't know you're watching. Because then you see some of their character come out. <laughs> sometimes you may say, I wish I hadn't have been watching. Um, but we, we love to watch our grandsons when they don't know we're watching. And because... We, we see things that, that cause us to love them so much and their little characters and that sort of thing. We get joy. Even though they're not aware that we're watching, we get great joy from that. Why? And we're watching. Now, if, if, if they do something that's harmful, we're going to intervene. We'll, suddenly, they'll know we're watching. We'll, we'll correct or, or we'll protect, but we're watching out of love. Listen, friend, that's what God does with you and with me. He watches us out of love. He is a God of knowledge. He knows what is best for you. Again, his goal isn't to catch you. His goal is to keep you. And so he watches. And he's a God of knowledge, Hannah says. He's a God of awareness. He's aware of the deeds of our life, what we say and how we behave. And all of this is to remind us that he is alert He's paying attention to you. You sometimes think, well, God just doesn't know my plight. He doesn't know what, what I'm experiencing. He yes, he does. There's no place that the psalmist said, if I go to the highest heights, you are there. If I go to the lowest lows, to the depths, to Sheol, you, you are there. There's no place that I can go that you are not. He knows where you are. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into a fiery furnace, he was in the furnace with them. He knows. He knows. 
He knows. Take comfort in that. Praise Him for the fact that He is always watching. And He's watching, again, not to catch you, but to keep you. He's watching you because He loves you. He is aware of your life and what's happening. And there's no place that you can go that you can get away from Him. He is alert. And then the next thing that Hannah speaks of that we must not forget, number four on your outline, is the determination of God. Verses 7 and 8, let me show you what we mean by that. The Lord makes poor, uh, uh, makes poor and makes rich. Uh, the last part of verse 8, for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. The whole thing really is talking about the fact that God is in control. God is up to something big and he has designed you to be a part of it. He wants you in on it. The pillars of the earth are, are the Lord's, and on them He has set the world, it says. This is about His sovereignty. An old Bible teacher I used to listen to as a teenager named J. Vernon McGee. Some of you may remember Dr. McGee. He said this. I love this quote. He said, this is God's universe, and God does things His way. You may have a better way, but you don't have a universe. You see, God has the right and the authority to act according to His will without explaining to us. And so He's up to something. We have the opportunity to be a part of it, but He may not give us all the details. Hello? And so we, our responsibility is just to say, I don't know what God is up to. He's up to something. So here I am, and I'll just follow Him today, and I'll follow Him tomorrow, and I'll follow Him the next day. One day at a time, I will listen to Him. I will obey His voice. I will do what He says. That's how you are a part of the big thing that God is doing. And you don't have to worry. Listen, if somebody else is doing their part in the big thing, all you need to be concerned about is are you doing what God has told you to do? Are you obeying Him? Are you following His Word? Are you committed to His way and to His will? And are you living there one day at a time, one day at a time, one day at a time, one day at a time? And then... I've told you this many times over the years. And then you get here one day, and you're going to look back and go, look at what God was doing. All those little things and how they added up to the bigger things of God. And guess what? You think, well, you say, well, okay, so there is a, 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 an ending point. No, you get here. The ending point, you know where the ending point for you and for me is? It's when God takes us home. Until God takes you home, you are to be involved in the big thing that God is doing. By the way, in this series, we're going to talk about what it means to wait on God. You know, waiting on God is part of doing God's thing. And waiting on God is not passive. We'll talk about all that. But, but uh, uh, at any rate, God has the right and the authority to act uh, toward us any way He wishes to. He doesn't have to explain that. God's determination is associated with our part in his big plans. Now, if you get what I've just told you, if you, just, if you get that, it's going to help you in three ways. Let me tell you how it's going to help you. Number one, it's going to help you avoid comparing yourself with others. If you say that God has this big plan that he's working and I'm a part of it and he created me uh, as he did, then I don't have to compare myself to other people all I have to do is be faithful to be who he's created me to be and if you understand that the big plans of God and you're a part of it whatever at whatever level 
then you don't have to compare yourself with other people. Paul said those who compare themselves among each other are not wise. It's an eternal waste of time and of your life to constantly measure yourself against other people. Because that has nothing to do with what God's purpose for you is. Does that make sense? You may remember after, uh, before Jesus was taken up into heaven after his resurrection, he was talking with Peter in the Gospel of John, and he tells Peter how he's going to die. Do you remember that story? He tells him how he's going to die. And how would you, <laughs> how would you like for Jesus to walk up and say, I need to, I'm going to tell you how you're going to die. I think I'd say, I don't think I want that information. But he tells him, you know, this is the passage with Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. And so he says to Peter, you know, your people will take you in a place you don't want to go and blah, 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 blah. And he tells him, he explains how he's going to die. You know what Peter does? He does exactly what our human nature wants us to do. He looks at John and at Jesus and he says, and what about him? You got some bad news for him too? <laughs> Our nature is to compare ourselves, isn't it? And you know what Jesus said back to Peter? He says, what's that to you? What's that to you if, if he lives on forever? You do what I created you to do. And you see, if we get this then it frees us up from having to compare ourselves with other people. The second thing it will help you do, it will help you be content with who God created you to be. That's really kind of a partner to that first idea. But it means this, you can be exactly who God created you to be. There used to be a commercial years ago about Michael Jordan, I think the greatest basketball player that's ever played the game. And Michael Jordan, you know, the commercial was, I want to be like Mike. Well, every teenage boy and every basketball player probably thought the same thing. I want to be like Mike. I want to be like Mike. But the fact is, nobody could be like Mike but Mike. And the fact is, you can only be you. No matter who you want to be. Look, uh, you know, uh, I grew up in a generation that would tell children things like this. You can be whatever you want to be. And frankly, now, don't mistake this. That's just not true. You can be everything God created you to be. But you can't just say, well, that's what I want to be right there. It doesn't work that way. But there's a lot of pressure put on people in life, and there are a lot of adults that live with that same kind of pressure all their life is that I've got to measure up to somebody else. I've got to be like that person or that person. And really what God created you to be is unique and original for Him. And so if you get this... You can be content with who God created you to be. And third, it will help you find purpose and fulfillment in all that you do. A friend, we are most fulfilled in life when we are doing and being what God made us to do and be. We are most fulfilled when we are doing what God designed us to be. If you want to know the secret to success, the secret to fulfillment is to be who God designed you to be, to find his purpose for your life and pursue that with all your heart. And if you will, you'll find God's fulfillment. You see, God is up to something. 
He's working out his eternal plan. Our part is not to adjust his plan. Our part is not to try to get God in on our plans. Our part is to get on board with his plans because God is up to something big. And then, number five, I want you to notice and not forget the preservation of God. Look at verse 9. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones. Y'all remember the American Express commercials? Not too terribly long ago. I don't, I don't know, just a few years back that used to say this. Membership has its privileges. Y'all remember that commercial? Membership has its privileges. In other words, there are certain perks that go with if you were American Express card owner, there were special benefits you had because you, were, uh, you had an American Express card. It was a great uh, ad campaign. But the fact is, <clears throat> when it comes to us and to God... Our relationship with God grants us privileges. You are now sons, the Bible says. You are heirs. There are things that come with a relationship with God. And in this case, he's talking about, or Hannah's referring to, the preservation of God. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones. No matter how much you want to, by the way, and no matter how much and how hard you try to, and no matter how determined you are to be a faithful one and live faithfully for God, you can't do it on your own. You may say, I'm going to live faithfully for God. Good, and I love that kind of, of desire, and that's, that's the starting point. You've got to, be, uh, uh, you've got to desire it to, to be a faithful one. That's what she called it, his faithful ones. But, friend, you can't be a faithful one on your own power. You've got to have help. You can't do it alone. So how do we live as faithful ones? Well, the reason a lot of Christians get exhausted and discouraged and feel defeated is because Here's what's going on. They're trying to preserve themselves for God. But she says that, that it is God who preserves his faithful ones. But we try to do it on our own. There are people that are frustrated. There are people watching, listening to this message. There are people sitting in this live audience. And you're at this point. You feel discouraged and you feel defeated and you feel spiritually exhausted. And you've been trying your best to preserve yourself for God. And you've just about run to the end of yourself. Listen, I, I appreciate your passion and desire to try to do it. But you can't do it in your own strength. Have the passion, and, and if you will combine your passion to live for God with the power of the Spirit of God, guess what? You'll experience the preservation of God. The Scripture teaches that you can't preserve yourself, for not by might. Notice what he said in verse 9. Look at the last part. For not by might shall a man prevail. The word of the Lord came to Zerubbabel, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Faithfulness, listen, faithful, being a faithful one, faithfulness isn't a matter of your willpower. It is a matter of his Holy Spirit power. It's not a matter of your willpower. It is a matter of his Holy Spirit power. The fact is you can't be a faithful one without the Spirit of God. Now, you can probably be a Pharisee or you can manifest a lot of religious motions without the Spirit of God. But to be a truly faithful follower 
it's going to require that you be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And you know what? When you trust Christ as your Savior, God inputs His Holy Spirit inside of you as a seal to kind of uh, 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 create this new kind of power, His power operating through you. When I was growing up, I remember that we would sometimes go out into the woods and we would we would take little pots with us and we'd pick blackberries. Has anybody ever done that? You go ahead and you come back with the chiggers, remember? And had to have all the lotion put on you so you could sleep at night. And, you know, but we'd go out and with my sisters out, we'd get these, we'd find where a lot of blackberries were and we'd get these blackberries. We'd come back in, we'd give them to mom, and mom would take them and transform them into jelly. And I remember that process. I remember watching the, the, the homemade jelly process and she would. She would do all the mixing and the additive, you know, the little bit of sugar and all this kind of stuff she'd add to them. And then she'd pour these uh, cooked up, heated up, uh, fresh-made uh, uh, jellies, uh, uh, blackberries, whatever you want to substitute there. She would, she would pour those into jars. You remember the little jars. She'd pour them into jars about like that. And she'd leave a little gap in the, in the jar. And then she would heat up and melt paraffin wax. And she'd put paraffin wax on the top of that, and then she'd take that little rubber-sealed lid, and she'd stick it down. She didn't have to screw anything on if she put the wax on, and they were hot. The jellies were, were still hot, and she'd put that lid on. The paraffin wax was there, and I didn't know what was going on. I just know it tasted good when we finally got it. But as I got older, I began to realize that's a process. And what happens is by putting that paraffin wax on top of the jelly, leaving enough space, and while it's hot, the combination of the hot jelly, the paraffin wax, and the, the rubber-sealed lid causes a vacuum to form, and it pushes all the air out. And so it seals the jelly in there, and that jelly would last for years because it was sealed and it was preserved. You know, the Bible says that's exactly what happens to a person that comes to Christ. Listen, Paul put it, and he said, It is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. The spirit seals us forever as his. That's why we need the spirit. That's why you can't live uh, for God, you can be a Pharisee without the Spirit of God, but you can't live effectively in the power of God and be preserved by God if you're not walking in the power of the Spirit of God. Charles Spurgeon said, without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. He said, we are as ships without the wind, branches without sap, and like coals without fire, we are useless. The best way for us to understand then what we're talking about in this whole preservation process, I would say it like this. The Holy Spirit enables us to live faithfully. He said, she said, you're faithful ones. The Holy Spirit enables us to, to live faithfully, to be faithful uh, ones. And faithfulness results in the preservation of God. So the Holy Spirit enables us to be faithful, and faithfulness brings with it the preservation of God. Does that make sense? And then there's the last thing that we must not forget, and, and this is a, a really neat thing. A lot of folks uh, aren't aware that there's something big going on right here. Verse 10, the coronation of God. In her song, in her prayer, she, again, she closes by exalting God. She started with exaltation. That's a good way to start your prayer. 
she ends with exaltation, the coronation uh, of God as the king. And, and uh, uh, look at verse 10 and at the last part. It said, and he will give strength to his king, that is, God will give strength to his king, and exalt the horn of his anointed. Hannah's prayer, listen, don't miss this, is a prophetic declaration. Do you know what her prayer points to? It points to the title of this series, God's Up to Something Big. You see, when Samuel was born, Hannah saw how God was continuing to fulfill his promise to Abraham. God was continuing, you see, to send the seed from which the promise uh, to Abraham would be manifest. And that seed would eventually change the whole world because it would result in a Messiah. And by, by seeing her son Samuel as part of the promised seed... She was pointing to the coming Messiah. She's talking about the one day Messiah, but she recognized that her son was a part of the lineage. God really was up to something big, wasn't he? She thought, first, he's given me a son. I prayed for a son. I'll give my son back to him. And God says, I'm going to use your son as part of the lineage that will one day bring my king, the anointed king, the Messiah king. Did you know the first century Christians considered this passage, this verse that we just talked about, they, and especially the phrases, his king and his anointed, the first century Christians considered this to be a prophetic message in reference to Jesus and his coming ministry. God's up to something big. And it all started with a small thing. It started with a mom's prayer for a son, but it was really part of God's big thing. Never underestimate the small things because it is the accumulation of the small things in which we often see manifest the big things of God. It was just a prayer, but it changed a nation. It was just a prayer, but it changed lives. It was just a prayer. But you and I sit here today because it changed our lives and it changed eternity. God is still up to something big, by the way. He didn't say, okay, it's done. By the way, when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, God didn't say, Jesus said that work is finished, but it wasn't the completion of the culmination of the big work of God. It was, in some senses, the initiation of the final works of God to come. God is still up to something big. And you know what? God wants you to be a part of it. How, how does that happen? Well, you know, we just said a simple prayer, uh, a small prayer uh, uh, changed the world. But friend, a simple prayer can change your life today. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a simple prayer. It's a simple prayer. I've seen people whose lives were transformed. I've watched it on the countenance of their face when they uttered these words, Lord Jesus, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a simple prayer, but it's a big thing, and it will change your life forever. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? No one's looking about in this place. You're watching on television or by live stream, listening on radio. Why don't you call out to him if you've never trusted him? You've been religious, but you're not related. 
you've never trusted him, do it right now. Call out to him, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying me. You said whosoever shall call, and I'm calling on you. I know I'm a sinner. I know I need you. And right now, I invite you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins and be my Savior. He'll hear that simple prayer. And he's promised this, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. You can change your life, change your destiny right now by calling on him. And then perhaps some of you have forgotten. You've forgotten these things that Hannah reminds us of. And you need to remember again and, and stop trying to be a faithful one in your own power and say, Lord, I want your Holy Spirit to rule in my life. I know you, but I need your power. I've been trying to live for you. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. And so I want your power to become my power, your strength to become my strength. Now, Lord, would you hear these prayers? And Father, would you transform our lives? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me for our invitation? I'll be here at the front. Our staff will be on these side aisles. And I want to invite you to slip out from where you're seated. If you prayed one of those prayers in particular, come and we can assist you with that and, and help you take whatever the next step for your life is. Maybe you're here this morning, you want to come and seek the Lord around this altar. You're praying about something. You're praying for someone, whatever it may be. Come and humble yourself before the Lord. Maybe you need a church family, a church home, and I'd invite you to come. You say, we want Ridgecrest to be our church home. I want Ridgecrest to be my church family. You come. And we'll help you. We'll take it from there. You can use the tear-off panel, of course. Those of you who are online, you'll get information and instructions on your screen. But today, I want to invite you to slip out and make your decision. You come forward as Brother Aaron leads us.